Hi, I'm Matthew Kelly, and welcome to Profoundly Human. My guest today, Mark Burcham, founder of Net Ministries and author of Step Up Dad. Mark, great to be with you. It's great to be here. Thank you, Matthew. So, um, tough questions to get started with. Are you a coffee drinker? Marginally. Um, Marginally. Tell me about your coffee habits. Uh, I, I do drink coffee now, but I grew up in a family, both my parents, strong coffee drinkers, seven kids, none of us drank coffee. Mm. I got married. My wife, Mary, loves coffee. She would, uh, every Saturday, say, hey, let's go to the coffee shop and get a cup of coffee, have a conversation. So I go down with her to the coffee shop, but I'd order a Diet Coke. Mm. After about a month or so, she said, you know, it just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> it just kind of breaks the mood. So I started drinking coffee. I can drink it if it's got flavoring. Okay. And what's your favorite flavor in the coffee? French vanilla. Mm, very good. Uh, favorite food? Pizza. Favorite movie? Miracle on Ice. Miracle on Ice. Why? The, uh, it's a story of, of Herb Brooks and the uh, American hockey team yep. that won the gold medal. Um, I love hockey, so that plays into it. But I, 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 I love the way that Herb Brooks works with a group of young men to achieve a purpose, yeah. you know, and his, his leadership, his inspiration, his toughness in bringing them together as a team. I, I just, I find it inspiring. I just, I, I love it. It's fantastic. It's interesting because um, my son, Ralph, uh, seven years old, was not feeling well on Saturday and all his brothers are running around playing baseball and swimming and I'm trying to convince him, like, you got to lay down and have a little rest, you know, you got a fever and... Um, and I said, what about, you know, watch a movie? And, um, and he said, uh, do you know any good sport movies? And that's what we ended up watching. So it's, it's fascinating you bring that up now. Um, what was your childhood like? What was it like growing up? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up on the east side of St. Paul, uh, working class neighborhood. Um, everybody in the neighborhood was pretty much on the same page when it came to at least moral values. A um, lot of kids, there was over 50 kids on my block. Um, so it was a great place to grow up. Uh, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. My, my dad was a salesman. Um, finished his career working for the St. Paul Pioneer Press and Dispatch, the St. Paul newspaper. He sold uh, classified advertising. So the, the ads for car dealers back in the day, that was kind of his, his niche. Um, Pretty, I mean, I was pretty average growing up, right? I went to school, loved sports, wasn't a great athlete, but really enjoyed hanging around with the guys. Um, didn't misbehave too much. I was sneaky when I was bad, um, so I never got caught. Um, but yeah, it was two great parents. Um, it, was, it was simple, simple, pretty, pretty plain, to be honest. What were your parents like? Uh, my dad was a short man with a loud voice. He had an opinion about everything and was more than happy to share it with you. My mom was like uh, Mrs. Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver. Mm -hmm. um, I would come home. Uh, we'd go to school. After we left, then she would leave for work. She was a, a cafeteria mom, worked in the cafeteria. She'd be home before we got home. So my mom was always there when I left, always there when I got back usually a plate of cookies waiting for us. 
and uh, just sweet. I mean, she's been just a great encourager, supporter, lover of me, my wife, our kids, the grandkids. I mean, she's just been phenomenal. Mm. I hear you love fishing. Where did that come from, and, and what do you love about it? Uh, <clears throat> I think for me, a lot of it, it, it came from my dad. So my dad was a fisherman. Um, he, would, he fished a lot in the summer, uh, usually for panfish, crappies, sunnies. Uh, he'd take me with me. I share a story in the book about him taking me to uh, Bear Trap Lake in Wisconsin. And we had this tradition. We, it was the same every time. We'd, we'd get up, we'd drive to this little truck stop restaurant, have breakfast, go to the marina. He'd rent a boat. He had a little motor in his station wagon he'd put on. We'd putter over to the to the lake where we'd fish and we would just fish and fish. And he'd, we'd fish for hours and we'd catch a, catch a ton of fish, which he would bring home and then he'd flay them all same day. And he'd, he'd save them in milk cartons. In, in those days they were uh, cardboard uh, and he'd put, I don't know, 25 fillets in there with some water, put them in the freezer. He would do that until he had hundreds of fillets and then he'd bring them all out and we'd have a giant fish fry for the, for the neighborhood, for whoever was around. Um, that was where my, my love for fishing started. And then I've, I've just kept it up. We've got, in Minnesota, we've got the boundary waters of uh, northern Minnesota. There's hundreds and hundreds of lakes that are interconnected by uh, either rivers or portages. Can't have a motorboat, so it's only accessible by canoe. Uh, but I, I love going up there and getting lost. Um, just sitting on the lake, surrounded by the trees, the, the, the loons, eagles, and fishing. It's doesn't get better than that. Mm. It's, it's great. Mm. The quiet. Who was your hero growing up? That's a great question. Uh, on the sports front, it would have been Harmon Killebrew. Mm. He was the third baseman for the Minnesota Twins, farm boy from <laughs> Idaho. Um, by today's standards, he did not look very athletic, but he was built like a guy that had pushed a plow. Um, but just a great, mild-mannered, polite, courteous, but he could hit, he could hit the ball. He could hit the ball really far. Um, you know, I think my dad was my hero um, in a certain way. You know, I wanted to be like him. Uh, yeah. You have four kids, five grandkids. What's your favorite part about being a dad and a, and a granddad? Mm. I think the favorite part about being a father is just seeing the kids grow and make good choices. Uh, you know, you do, you do a lot of work when your kids are younger you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. But you don't really get your report card until they're 26, 27, 28. Um, and just seeing them now making some life choices, life decisions that are good and virtuous, I mean, that's, that's really cool. Um, being, a, being a grandfather, it's, it's uh, when my first grandson was born, Paul, um, it felt like a scene from the movie Lion King where the, the older lion holds up the, the new cub. And it kind of felt like 
family's complete. Like having a third generation just made it seem like, okay, now we're, now we're a full family. And uh, it's just been wonderful. When you're a grandparent, you, you can spend time with them and then give them back. Uh, you can do fun things with them and not have to discipline them. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great. I mean, it, and it, it keeps you young, you know? I mean, they're, I can't keep up with them sometimes. They're so, they're so mobile, so yeah. active. Yeah. So you got the kids, the grandkids, the book has just come out. What else is happening in your life at the moment? What are you excited about? Well, I, you know, I've worked my entire life for Net Ministries and uh, this past year we've uh, transitioned into a new president. So I'm no longer in charge, still working full time as a advisor, um, which gives me some room to, to do some projects that are uh, a little bit more developmental in nature, maybe experiment a little bit, perhaps do a little bit more writing. Um, several years ago, I was up in the Bondi waters with my youngest son, Joe, and we were camped on an island. And I, it was in the early in the morning, I was taking my prayer time on the edge of this island. And all of a sudden, I felt like God said to me, Mark, I have one more great adventure for you. But he didn't tell me what it was. Mm. Um, and I'm still not sure what it is. Uh, but I kind of feel like this, this new stage of life of still being involved in ministry, but not having to be in charge. Uh, this may be the great adventure. Maybe it's the book. Uh, maybe it's being grandpa. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's always more uh, with Christ. And it's just exciting to kind of see how does this next chapter unfold. When you were younger, you had a medical experience um, with your heart, I think. Mm. Yeah. What was that like and how did that, well, that influence was, you? Uh, <laughs> that changed my life. Um, so I grew up Catholic, uh, Catholic grade school, high school. But, you know, I, I knew everything, but I never made it. It was never personal for me. Um, I didn't know if I believed in God or not. I didn't know if God was real. Um, I had no sense of a personal relationship with Christ. And I got involved at what was then, it doesn't exist anymore, it was called the St. Paul Catholic Youth Center, downtown St. Paul, old building. They had all sorts of programs for young people. But I got involved down there and I was captivated by the people. The way they related was different than anything I'd experienced. Um, respectful, loving, encouraging. It was like, oh, I want to be like these people. But then they would talk about spiritual stuff and I was like, <laughs> I don't want any of that. Well, it, in the meantime, I, I developed a, a pain in my chest. I was in between sports seasons. I played sports. wasn't all that good, but I liked to train and you know try to get better. And uh, I had this uh, pain in my heart. And uh, dad took me to the doc. And the doc sent me to a specialist. And I don't remember the medical term, but my heart had enlarged. I had enlarged heart. And it was pumping too hard for my size veins. And that was about what I was feeling. So the doctor said, uh, Mark, you need to take it easy. No more sports, uh, no more work, um, no more walking stairs. And, and I looked at him, I said, doctor, what can I do? He said, you like to read? And it just threw me for a, 
a loop because my whole life was, it was based on doing stuff with the guys, you know, playing sports. And that's where I find my identity. Anyway, the people down at the Catholic Youth Center heard a little bit about it. And one of the guys, his name was Howie. He said, Mark, we could pray for you and God could heal you. I said, <laughs> no. And uh, probably for a month, two months, every time he saw me, he'd, he'd ask me, hey, can we pray for you? And I always said, no. Finally, I said to him, look, if I let you pray with me once, will you quit bringing it up? He said, okay. So Howie and a couple other people got together. They, they had me sit down in a chair. They stood around me. They said some prayers. I have no idea what happened. I didn't feel anything. I don't remember anything. They got done and I thanked them. I went to the doctor once a month for a little checkup. And the next time that I went to the doctor, uh, they did the checkup and uh, nothing had changed. Everything was the same. When I came back to the Catholic Youth Center, uh, Howie said, so how'd your doctor appointment go? You know, I told him, I said, nothing's changed. And there was a, there was a priest there and the, the priest overheard the conversation. He said, Mark, what did you expect when Howie prayed with you? I said, nothing. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, Mark, God answered your prayer. Mm. And at that moment, it was, it was like a sword just cut me. And I, and I realized I had a choice to make. And so I, I went home and I said the best prayer of my life. I said, God, if you're real, like they say you are, you have to show me. And uh, the next time I went to the doctor, um, my heart had returned to normal. In fact, there was some Olympic wrestlers training at the University of Minnesota where I went. My heart tested out stronger than I, I think all but one or two of the wrestlers. Mm. And I had done nothing. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I put two and two together. And that was like God breaking them. I couldn't deny it. I, you know, They prayed, they asked God to do something, and, and God did something. And that was really, for me, the start of my, my personal walk with Christ. Um, and I owe a debt of gratitude to, to Howie. Howie was the, was the custodian. It's a great story. Yeah, he was, yeah it was life-changing for me. Great story. Let's talk a little bit about NET. You know, um, for someone who's never heard of NET Ministries, what is NET? So NET is a Catholic apostolate. We recruit um, college-aged young adults between the ages of 18 and 28 who want to do a year of mission work. They come to St. Paul. They go through six weeks of training. We send them out around the country in teams, 10 to 12 per team. And then our teams do retreats in Catholic parishes and high schools. And our retreats are very much the, the front end of evangelization. You know, there is a God. He loves you. He has a plan for your life, but you have to invite him in. Um, so very front end evangelization. Um, nothing fancy. We don't use a lot of technology. It's people, young people talking to young people. Um, we use some gospel-based stories. A lot of small group discussion, trying to get the young people talking. And then every retreat ends with what we call prayer ministry, where we go into the chapel or the church. And one by one, we pray with each young person there. One of our missionaries will go up to the young man or woman and say, is there something I can pray uh, with for you? And oftentimes we'll, we'll encourage them, just let us pray a prayer that God would open your heart. 
And that's where the real conversion takes place, that encounter between the young person and the Spirit of God. I mean, it's it's beautiful to see what happens. Mm. So Talk our about... Teams are, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. I'll say, so our teams just go from place to place. Um, I think this last year we worked in a, about 110 different dioceses around the country, um, conducted retreats for about 92,000 young people. Wow. What... Uh... What makes a young person say, yes, I'm going to give a year of my life and do this missionary work? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think a couple of things. I think obviously it's, 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 uh, it's a young adult whose faith has come alive a little bit and, and they want to share it. You know, I mean, young people are, are still idealistic. You know, they want to, they want to do something to change the world. Mm. Uh, they want to do something to make things better. Um, so I think some of them come because they, they want to share their faith. Some think that traveling the country would be really fun um, and exciting. Um, those that get sent to California still think that. Those that end up in North Dakota think, oh, maybe not so, so exciting. <laughs> um, and, and some of them are trying to find themselves, like not sure what they want to do with their life yet. And so they think a, a, a year of mission or a gap year, as some people call it, gives them a chance to grow a little bit more mature, maybe crystallize a little bit better what they should study when they go back to college. So it, 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 it's a mix. Some go just because their brother or sister went and they, or their mom or dad, and they said, hey, you should do this. Yeah. Let's go back to when you started, Nip. What, what put that dream in you? Where did that come from? What were you trying to do? You know, I don't think I knew I started Net until about four years into it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, there was just a group of young people at the Catholic Youth Center, and we had experienced our faith come alive, and we wanted to share that with other young people. And so we started just going to parishes around Minnesota, the Midwest, just for a weekend, um, do a retreat, and then come back. And we did that for a couple of years, and we thought, boy, wouldn't it be cool to do this for a whole year? And so I put a team together. Uh, we begged, borrowed, and stole our way into any church that would have us. Um, mainly it was in the Midwest with one little scoot down to Humatibido, Louisiana. Um, and that's, that's how we got started. It was the, the first place we went to uh, was a Catholic high school, Winona Cotter. Uh, we got there. I was the team leader with my, with my team. And uh, they brought us into a room. And they had tables like, kind of like this table here. And we were all sitting at the table and the administration was all up on the stage. There was the pastor, the principal, the religion teacher, and they were just question after question. And I was, I was 27. I, had, I didn't have any classes in theology. I didn't know a whole lot about Catholic doctrine. And I could tell I wasn't answering their questions, you know. What's your ecclesiology? What's your spirituality? And finally, I said to them, I said, look, let's make a deal. Let us do tomorrow's retreat. We were supposed to do four, one a day for four days. I said, let's, let us do tomorrow's retreat, and then let, we'll come back and meet. And if you like us, we'll stay. And if you don't, we'll leave. Because I didn't know what else to, what else to do. So my, my team was all afterwards. They were all kind of like, what did you just do? You know, if they don't, we all, we all quit school to do this. You can't stop after one day. So anyway, we did the retreat and uh, 
nothing spectacular. We just shared about our faith, had small groups, did a skit or two, prayed with them. Retreat was over, kids went home. We cleaned up, we went back to the room. Um, they're all back, they're on the stage, we're down here. We're just getting ready to start and there's a knock on the door. And the receptionist comes into the room, whispers to the principal and then leaves. Principal sits back down and says, Mark, that was Mrs. Smith. She's our school receptionist. She says she's already had five phone calls from parents wanting to know what happened at school today. This is the most excited my kids ever been about their faith. You guys can stay. Mm. That was, that's how we started. You know, the, in the early years, the, the big question was, are you sure you're Catholic? Because um, Catholics back, it was the 1980s, Catholics weren't doing evangelization. Right. Um, people were convinced, you, you, you can't be Catholic, you must be evangelicals. Uh, no, we're Catholic here. Here's a letter from our bishop. Um, we're all in good standing, but uh, it's been fun now, you know, over the years, uh, with, with JP2 and the new evangelization. I mean, the church is embracing our evangel evangelistic ministry mission. So that, that's been really exciting to see. But in the beginning, uh, yeah, we were, we were the oddball. Yeah. So four years in, you realize you've got something. Yeah. What, what was that like? What was your thought process? And Well, you know, I wanted to be an attorney. Yeah. Uh, growing up, I, I thought it would be the quickest way to make a buck. Um, I was all about, you know, I wanted to advance, you know, socially, economically. I thought, well, I'll do this church thing for a year or two and then go get a real job. And, and after about four years, it was, it was like, okay, Lord, I think you've pointed out the path for my life. Um, I'll do what I can. Um, and I had no, I mean, in all honesty, I had no idea where we were going or what we were doing. We just were faithful to God saying, train them, send them out to share the gospel, care for them and do it again and do it again. And it just kept on growing. We went from one team to two teams to four teams. We started having people come from other parts of the, of the world. Um, interest in other places started. I think now we have 14 teams and we've got, we've replicated up in Canada and Australia, uh, Ireland, Scotland, Uganda. If you would have told me then what I'd be doing now, I would have asked you what you were smoking. <laughs> I, I mean, I just, my vision was so small. I, you know. So you have trained three and a half thousand young people to be missionaries, to go out into the world and evangelize. Um, you've impacted more than two million people live um, through these retreats, through these encounters. What do you know about young people today that you maybe didn't know when you were getting started? Mm. I, I, a couple of things. I think one is how incredibly important it is to be loved. Uh, I think young people have always desired to be loved, but I think now more than ever with what's happening in our culture, with family breakdown, uh, the, the, there's just this deep longing within a young person. Somebody, please notice me. Mm. Somebody, please know me. Uh, love me. Um, 
I think young people are, they're more, they're not disinterested in the faith. They just don't know the faith. Nobody's presented them with the, the real message of the gospel. Um, they're not, they're not anti most teaching. They don't know the teaching. And if it's explained well, it's like light bulbs go off. Like, Oh, that makes some sense. Um, the desire for community is bigger than ever, you know, as, as we become more fragmented in our, in our world, um, as we become more connected on our cell phones and less connected person to person, young people are just, they're longing for relationship. Mm. They don't know how mm. they, they couldn't do. Many of them can't do what we're doing right now. They don't know how to talk back and forth with another person. Yeah. What has been the most satisfying part of this ministry? A couple of things. I think first is when a young person says, I think I experienced God. I think I experienced God. I think I felt God today. That's, that's super cool. I think another thing is uh, seeing what missionaries do afterwards. You know, they serve with us for a year or two, and then they go back to their homes, to their schools. Um, you know, some of them become uh, priests and sisters. A couple have become bishops, um, presidents of colleges, nurses, teachers, youth ministers. Like there's this ripple effect, you know, and, 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 and just when you see somebody who will serve the church for the entirety of their life, that's, that's really neat. Yeah. And that, that's really cool to see. Hmm. As a leader of young people, as a parent, as a grandparent, um, you see young people grow up in the faith. You see young people fall away from the faith. What do you see as the factors that is the difference between someone staying engaged spiritually and, and drifting away? I think a lot of it has to do with who you hang around with, with your, your community, with your family. Um, those young people that are surrounded by other peers and friends that are people of faith and integrity are more likely to stay engaged with their faith. Yeah. And, you know, sadly, we've, we've seen some, some young people whose faith is really alive and they, they end up in a place where there's just not any support or um, fellowship and they, it's a slow drift away until one day they realize I've, I've walked away from my faith. Um, so, so much of it, I think, is, is who you hang around with. Yeah. Who, who are the friends that you've chosen to live your life with? Mm. What advice would you have for a young person who is thinking about, hey, what am I going to do with my life? Pray. And do something radical. Um, don't worry about figuring out your career or your vocation. Go serve. Go serve for a year. Um, this is not a net plug, but we'd be happy to have you come and serve with net. But go someplace. Go someplace where you can take a year and focus on helping other people, growing in your faith. And, and a, what happens when you do a year of service is you get stretched. And all of a sudden you realize, huh, I can do more than I thought I could do. 
Um, and it, sets, it just sets you up a lot better for whatever career you might have uh, down the road. So uh, pray and, and do something radical. Step outside the norm and, and give away a year of your life to something great. There's this paradox that by serving, we discover ourselves, which I think young people in particular struggle to get their, their heads around. What do you think is, is behind that paradox? You know, I think we, we live in the, in the me generation where we are so focused on me, me, me. What do I think? How do I feel? What do I want? What's good for me? Self-care. I mean, all those messages. When you're in a, in a ministry situation, your focus gets changed 180%. I mean, it just flips around. And now you've got to think about what does he, what does he need? What will help him? How can I make a difference for him or for her? As we do that, as, as we're focusing less on ourself, our true self actually emerges. Mm. And we begin to see who we really are. Our, our strong points, but we also see our weaknesses, yeah. which is actually a gift. Um, I, I tell the missionaries, you know, you are going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of yourself, and it's a gift. Far better to see yourself truly now while you're still relatively young and have time to change than to pretend it's not there and wake up in your 50s or 60s with all sorts of regrets because I knew that was there in me and I never addressed it. And now I get to reap the fruit of that and I don't like it. It's a big thing for a young person to say, hey, I'm going to take a year. I'm going to commit myself to this for a year. Um, I suspect they feel like they're putting their lives on hold or the people around them maybe say, well, you should be moving further in your career or you should be continuing with college or getting off to college or um, how do you, how do you talk to them about that? We often hear that more from the parents (laughs) than for the, than from the young people. Um, I'm all about education. I'm a, I'm a big believer. School is good. If you start school, you ought to finish. Um, so I encourage our missionaries, when you're done, go back to school, finish up. Uh, but there's a lot more to learn in life than what you learn in a classroom or in a textbook. And some life lessons can only be learned by living. Um, you take a look at all the fruits of the Holy Spirit, joy, patience, kindness, those are all relational. I, I can't learn patience in a book. I can't learn it in a classroom. I've got to learn it being around people who make me impatient <laughs> so I can learn patience. Yeah. Um, and doing a year of ministry, just it just unlocks your potential. And it, it, it helps you become, in, in your words, a, a better version of yourself. Um, and that really is what life's all about. It's, it's becoming, I want to become the best Mark I can be. And sometimes that's only going to happen when I put myself in a situation that's going to stretch me and make me rely on the Lord, make me rely on other people, and maybe dig down a little bit deep. Yeah. And I think sometimes parents are afraid of challenging our kids. And our, our kids need a challenge. Yeah. Uh, they, they need to see that they can do something that's hard, something that's difficult. Hmm. 
when you bump into people who were in that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and, and they reminisce about that, what sort of things they reminisce about? You know, it's, it's like being in the army or the military. When net alumni get together, even if they're not from the same years, they all share the same stories. It's stories about their team, things that happened on the road. Um, of course, they'll, they'll tell the things, the stories that they didn't want me to hear back then about things they did that maybe weren't quite up to policy. Um, but the other thing that they almost all of them say is, if they're married, I learned to love my spouse in a net van. Um, spending that year with 10 other people, not of my choosing, where I had to learn how to honor people and respect them, how I had to learn how to ask for forgiveness and grant forgiveness. It was the best marriage prep I could have ever had. Mm. Um, it's, it, it's, it's pretty neat. Powerful. Let's talk a bit about the book. Um, step up, Dad. Your kids need you. Why did you pick the title? And you know, what is the book about for someone who has not heard of the book yet? Yeah, Step Up Dad, it's, it's, a, it's a dad writing to dads. Um, the more I've been in youth ministry, the more I see that uh, dads play a key role, an uh, irreplaceable role in the lives of young people. And I just wanted to do something to, to hopefully stir up in men a desire to be a better dad. So it, it's, it's really, um, it's my attempt to help dads rediscover within them that desire to be great to be a great father, and then to give them some practical steps. Uh, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing in that book that's hard to do. Mm. Um, there's nothing in the book that people will say, oh my gosh, a new idea. Uh, they're not new ideas. They're all doable. Trouble is most of us don't do them. Yeah. Um, but we need, to make, we need to awaken that desire and make a decision and then start doing some really simple, practical things. And if we do that, we can make great progress. Our kids need great dads uh, now more than ever. Yeah. Uh, we talked earlier about some of the struggles young people are having. Uh, a lot of that can be traced to not being affirmed and established by their fathers as men and women of God, men and women of dignity. Yeah. So, you know, you got a lot of guys out there that, they're dads, but they never had great dads. And so they feel like they're coming at it with, you know, one arm tied behind their back or that sort of thing. What advice would you have for a father who didn't have a great father for whatever reason? Um, what would you say to that man? Stop looking backwards. Um, I know there are guys that have had poor father experiences and I wish it were different, but it is what it is. And you can write a different narrative. You don't have to be paralyzed by things that your dad did or didn't do when you were younger. Um, get in touch with that. Get in touch with your disappointment and your frustration and maybe your pain and, and pray about it and, and ask God to, to give you the grace to just let it go. Uh, you, you, you can't be a great dad if you're dragging a bunch of garbage with you. Cut the tie to the garbage 
and do what you can. And what you can do is take a couple of concrete steps forward. Fatherlessness in all its forms has been labeled as a crisis in America. What influence do you think it is having on society and, and on the church at this time? We're becoming less human because of a lack of fathering. Mm. Um, I think it pervades and affects the entirety of society and the church. Um, without good fathers, young men and young women are vulnerable to being swayed by whatever tickles their ear in the culture at the time. But a good father and a good mother can anchor a young person in these are the things that are good and true and beautiful. We live at a time right now where we're, we're dazzled by the new and shiny mm. and we want to jettison the tried and true. And a good father can be that connection between these are the, these are the values of our faith and these are the values of our family that you can build your life on. But without a dad or a dad who's communicating, kids don't get that passed on to them. Yeah. It's not just being a good Christian. It's being a good Bertram, a good Kelly. Uh, our families, we stand for something. Uh, we, 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 are, we are bringing some good from the past and we're trying to pass it on to the, to the future. Yeah. You talk in the first chapter, I think, about um, recognizing your power as a father. Why did you choose to start there? What What is that? What does that mean? How does someone do that? Sure. You know, I, I think uh, most dads are ignorant. <clears throat> Maybe that's the right word. We don't realize the effect that we're going to have on our kids. I'm going to affect my sons and daughters whether I intend to or not. I'm going to leave an imprint on them whether I intend to or not, just by the fact that I'm their father and I interact with them is going to shape their life. What I want to do is I want to recognize I have a power and I can use that power for good or not so good. And I, I think a lot of us, we bury that, that recognition. We get so caught up in our career and making it to the end of the week. Um, and, and we don't take time to, to recognize hey, I can really impact my kids. I, I could be a great dad. Um, I think most men want to be a great dad. Mm -hmm. If you ask them point blank, would you like to be a great father? They'd say, well, yeah. And if you ask them, do you ever think about that? They'd say, well, no, not really. Um, so what I'm hoping to do is, is let, let's awaken that desire. If, if we don't have that desire, if we don't set a target, we're probably not going to hit it. Um, so let's get, let's get clear on what we want to do and then take some steps forward. Mm. Let's talk about raising boys for a minute. What do you think a father's main goal should be in raising sons? Be a dad, not a friend. Um, I think our sons uh, are, are, they need fathers. I think too many dads try to be their kid's buddy uh, they got other buddies. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't be, obviously you want to be friendly with your boys, uh, but they need a dad 
They need someone who's who's going to call them to something more, who's going to be undeniably on their side no matter what. Uh, friends come and go. Uh, friends are fickle. Uh, fathers are forever. Uh, dads need to be durable. Uh, our, our sons need to know, I can count on my dad. I can count on my dad no matter what. Mm. Um, it's all about relationship. What mistakes do you see fathers making with their sons? <laughs> How about what mistakes have I made <laughs> with my sons? Oh, that's good too. Uh, yeah, I think sometimes um, being too busy, a lot of times being too busy. Um, sometimes our, 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 our sons will hang around and it's like they're, they're asking for some attention, but I can stay so focused on my stuff, my project. It's kind of like, yeah, I'll, you know, in a little bit later, or even pretend that they're not there. Um, I, you know, I, I write in the book, one of the things I found most helpful is when I finished my work day and I was driving home, I had this little mental exercise. Uh, I would just say to myself, Mark, you're going home to the most important people in the world right now. And just helping me make that mental shift to get out of work, out of worry, out of tomorrow, and just focused on John and Joe, yep. Hannah and Claire. Just then when I walked into the house, I was actually present. You know, sometimes I'd walk into the house and I was there physically, but my mind was still back at work. Sure. But just doing something like that to remind myself. This is who I'm coming in contact with right now. Um, was for me was super helpful. What about fathering daughters? How is that different? What should a father's goal be um, in fathering his daughters? Help her to learn what it means to be beautiful. Um, I think today our culture is so screwed up on what we consider to be beauty. And we live in a sex-saturated society. And we're sending all sorts of messages to young girls that are, they're lies, they're, they're, they're false. But they're so easy to buy into because it's so prevalent. I think a father pl plays a key role in helping his daughters understand you're a daughter of God. That real beauty is in the heart and in virtue and not just the color of your hair or your skin complex. Um, and again, a lot of that, it, it, it's, it's back to relationship. It's, do your daughters know you? Do they know your love? Do they know that you're on their side? Um, are you rooting for them? Are you protecting them? Um, are you engaged in their life? We also live in a culture that's obsessed with sports. Um, sports are a good thing. What role do you think sports play in the life of young people between a father and his children? What lessons do you think uh, we want them to learn from sports and what are some of the mistakes we're making there? I think there's a lot of great life lessons in sports. I, I, I love sports. Um, Played them when I was a kid. Um, still try to play them now um, as an old man. Um, certainly just learning teamwork is huge. 
learning to sacrifice for somebody else is huge. Um, the idea of, I'm going to intentionally make an out so you can advance, that's a big lesson. Um, to learn, I'm going to stay in my lane so that you'll be free to do what you need to do is a huge lesson. Um, I think for, for, for dads who are uh, able and active, I think doing sports stuff with your kids is great. Um, I'd rather do sports than watch sports, although watching is, is fun. <clears throat> but throwing a baseball, throwing a football, in my case, putting on some skates and hitting the rink, a great way to spend time together. Um, a great way to spend time together. Where it gets challenging, I think, for us, for us now is that in some places, sports have become almost like a religion. And if your kid is going to go much beyond high school sports, you almost have to make it a religion in terms of so many practices, so many games, so many tournaments, year-round training. Um, and it really takes away from faith, takes away from family, uh, takes away from a lot of other healthy activities. And so I think we've got to either create some alternatives where young men and women can enjoy sports with not having to totally sell out to them. Or we have to make the hard choice that, you know, in our family, you just can't play that sport because it's just too much. Those are, those are tough discussions. Parents struggle to make that decision. Why do you think that is? <laughs> because every dad wants to live the state championship over in his son's life. Okay. And all the things that I didn't accomplish, I want to see my boys to accomplish. And if my boys are great athletes, I must be a great dad. Mm. And maybe they'll go to the major leagues and make hundreds of millions of dollars and I can retire early. <laughs> we get lost in our dreams and sure. we project our dreams on our kids. Sure. Um, but we forget that there are some things that are more important. And faith and family are, are two of those things. Yeah. You look at all the energy we pour into sports as a nation, as a culture, and the energy we pour into faith and family. If you flip those two, how would our culture change? We wouldn't have to do this interview. I mean, it doesn't take more <laughs> than that, right? I think yeah. we pretend that the, the problems are too large to solve and that we don't have the answers. Yeah. I think we very often do. What about um, what conversations... What conversations are fathers avoiding or neglecting with their children? I think for dads with their boys, uh, the moral conversations are scary for dads. They're scary for me, you know? Um, you sit down and you think about, it. okay, I'm going to talk to my son about premarital sex. I mean, it just doesn't, at least for me, I didn't get like, whoo, can't wait, you know? <laughs> I'd rather talk about the Stanley Cup or the World Series. Um, but if we don't have those conversations, who's going to have them? You know, well, it's going to be social media. Yeah. And as much as I would fumble and bumble with those conversations, I've got more confidence in myself than in social media to say the right things. Yeah. Um, but we, as dads, we just have to muster up some courage. You know, I mean, premarital sex. Pornography, for sure, we should be talking about. And social media, um, the right ways to use it. 
it's a tool, and like all tools, there's some good things, but you can use a tool in a pretty harmful way. Yeah. And as dads, we need to help our sons and our daughters, but particularly our sons, uh, gain some perspective and some self-discipline. I'm not always going to be there to discipline my kids. I've got to help them learn how to self-discipline so that they can really be successful, virtuous, mature young men and women. Yeah. But no dad wants, it's hard to be the bad guy sometimes. Yeah. You know, who wants to say no? Sure. Um, But that's when I need to be their father and and not their buddy. I think parents, they, they bring their children home from the hospital, their child, first child home from a hospital. They think they've got plenty of time. Um, my eldest is 13 now, and that happened very, very quickly. Um, it seems we don't have plenty of time, and we have less and less time because of the way the culture is impacting our children at younger and younger ages. What would you say to the father who brought his first child home from the hospital yesterday? Mm. couple of things. I'd say first, uh, get in touch with that deep love that you're probably feeling right now. Um, and let that love grow in you. And let that love motivate you to do what you need to do to really care for and raise that young person. Secondly, I'd say uh, don't wait. Um, Start being a dad now. Um, Start affirming, even when they're an infant, telling them that you love them so that you're used to it. So that when they're two and three and four, you're already doing it. Yes. Um, Make some decisions now on how you're going to structure your life to create some space. Um, Yeah, you got to work. But you don't need to work 70 hours a week. Mm. What do you need to do now so you can get a job where you only need to work 40 hours a week? So you've got some time. Um, Take a look at your priorities. Um, When you say yes to a kid, you probably should be saying no to something else. And it'll be different for all of us, but it might be no to three hours of gaming. It might be no to golfing three times a week. It might be no to whatever. Um, But begin to create space for the people in your life who are going to be the most important. Mm. And find some good allies. Find some, I think one of the mistakes that we do, that men do, we're competitive by nature. Um, Now, I've heard that you're a great golfer, so I'm not going to golf with you. Because if I do, you're going to beat me. And I don't want you to beat me. I'd rather play ice hockey with you because I'm pretty sure I can probably beat you in that. I mean, we, as men, we want to we compete all the time in sports. We compete at work. You know, how many times does somebody at work get a promotion and at least part of us is like, I wish I could get a promotion. Um, But we do the same thing with fathering. Uh, We compete uh, through our boys. If my kid is doing something good, then I must be a good dad. Mm. I don't want 
I don't want to compete with other men. Yeah. I want to find allies. You know, Matthew, can you help me be a better dad? I don't want to compete with you to be a better dad. I want you to help me to be a better dad. I'll help you to be a better dad. Yeah, but it's it's finding some allies. Who are those men in my life who will walk with me through this next adventure, which is going to be 20 years, but it will go fast, who can pray for me, encourage me, challenge me. Um, if they see me maybe not doing something so well, give me a little kick in the rear end. Um, I need guys like that. And, and I've had that gift in my life. I've I've been in the same men's group with, with, a, with a couple of guys for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, we've walked through birth to launch and everything in between. And, and, and it's been great. I mean, it's, it's, there's some of the, there's some of the best treasures that God's given me is some allies, some brothers to walk with me uh, through that exciting chapter of being a parent, being yeah. a dad. Tremendous gift. Mm. One last question. Um, I think a lot of fathers feel like they dropped the ball, missed the boat, you know, failed, whatever. Um, depending on where they are in their life or where their sons and daughters are in their lives, what what would you say to a father who's feeling that? So every father who's made a mistake, raise your hand. I mean, <laughs> we all have. We all have. Well, what's, what's sad is when a dad gets older and looks back, and feels like he's failed, maybe he hasn't done enough, maybe he got too busy and never gave time, never had those meaningful conversations. He can look back with a certain set of regret. Okay, so what now? You know, and I would say to that to that guy, step past it. You know, if you want to, go ahead. Admit to yourself you made a mistake, go to confession, whatever you need to do, but focus on. What can I do starting today? Um, you can make space in your life. You can be affirming of your kids. Um, if they're already out of the house, uh, look for opportunities to get together. Send them a letter. Give them a phone call. Text them. But just open up, open up a bridge, open up a relationship, and don't worry how they respond. Just keep doing it. Just be consistent for a period of time. They'll reach back to you. Uh, one of the things I see most often for fathers is they quit early. At a certain point, they just think, well, he's gone or she's gone. You know, that's just the way it goes. It's like, don't quit. Don't quit. Mm. Keep the bridge open. They'll come back. If you're a young dad, um, my advice to young dads is don't get too excited when they're doing good. And don't get too discouraged when they're not doing so good. Mm. Just stay with it. Do the things you know a good dad should do and do them over and over and over. You're looking to be consistent and faithful. And in the end, that will win. Yeah. That will win. Mm. Love always wins. The book, Step Up Dad, it's fantastic. Mark, great to be with you. Thanks so much for making time. That's great to be with you, Matthew. Thank you for all you're doing to build a church and build families. I appreciate it's that. It's great. Thank you.